live from the WYLK studios in Pittston, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. Sharing Recovery is sponsored by Clearbrook Treatment Center, Serenity Lodge, Attorney Jason Mattioli, and Archstone Recovery Center. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of Intercom Communications staff, management, or sponsors. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. Welcome to Sharing Recovery. We're happy you chose to spend time with us this afternoon. I'm Suzanne Kelly, and I am joined by fellow host Jack Kropp, who on September 16th celebrated 19 years of recovery, and today is Jack's birthday. Happy birthday, Jack. You rock. This is awesome to have you here. Thank you. We're doing this show today, as well as all of our other shows, to to talk about recovery. Uh, Sharing Recovery is about hope and it's about help, and it's also about healing. We believe recovery is possible, but we also know too often that silence equals death. Now, today we are very pleased and excited to welcome uh, Eric M., Larry M., and PJ to Sharing Recovery. The title of this show this week is From Outrageous to Recovery, and I understand that this is going to be quite a ride as far as your stories of life, addiction, recovery, and a great life post-addiction. You guys are you guys are really rocking it. Welcome. Welcome, Thank guys. You. Thank you. Thanks. So... Go ahead. Oh, no, I just wanted to mention also you can call in with your questions or comments at 570-883-0098. We're also on Facebook Live, so you can type in a question or comment. Also, follow us on Twitter. We are on at Share Recovery. Send us a a question or comment, and we'll be happy to share on the air. Today's show, uh, the concept for today's show was different stages of recovery. P.J., is relatively new in recovery. Larry is is somewhere in the middle of, stages of, recovery. of this road. And Eric has been around a long time. I've been around, as Suzanne said, 19 years. So that's what we want to talk about today. What happened? What's it like today? So, PJ, where are you at today in recovery? Um, You know, my biggest thing is... Uh, just taking it one day at a time it's uh hard for me to to picture myself without you know drugs and alcohol for the rest of my life but when um you know i break it down to just not not doing anything today and and staying clean well what happened pj that you ended up in recovery i mean did, did your your family tell you how to do it or did you decide on your own I mean. well when i was 18 years old um I wound up in the hospital for two weeks with pancreatitis as a result of my drinking. And, um, you know, I remember the doctors and stuff were telling my family, like, you know, you should go seek treatment. And upon doing so, I, I did like an outpatient at a treatment facility and, and kind of got my, my feet wet in recovery. But at that point, I just wasn't ready and, uh, you know, went out for about five years and 
when I came back, I was able to get a little bit of time in the pro in recovery. And, uh, you know, I went for about nine and a half months and, uh, and ended up testing the waters again. And over the course of a week, you know, I couldn't live with alcohol and I didn't want to get sober. I didn't want to drink. I just wanted to die. And, uh, what age did you start drinking at? Uh, I was about 14 years old when I had my first drink. And you said you tested the waters again. And by that, you mean you had a relapse. You you, yeah. re- you had stopped and then you started drinking again. Because the people that are listening to this show might not understand yeah. when we say that, that you tested the waters again. That you had stopped, you came to a recovery program, and then you decided to start again. Yes. Eric, did you ever have a relapse? Uh, yeah, yeah, five times. <laughs> five times. That's in my 36th year in here now. 36 years in a recovery program. 36 years, yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, and when I first got sober, I was uh, I was 24 when I first got sober. And uh, I was an intervenous drug user. I have a, my father was an alcoholic. And I got married at 19 because um, that probably saved me because I was in pretty bad shape then. And I got married in, uh, in two, by two years later, I had two children and i could see myself in my father i could look at him and i could see myself in 20 years and i said i just can't do this with my kids but i uh so i stopped drinking pretty much and i just got into heavy drug use and larry have you given this a try or i've given it a few tries actually i've been to three treatment facilities and uh the last one seemed to work for whatever reason um I'm not sure. I believe I hit a point in my life of desperation where I couldn't really envision myself living with or without drinking and using drugs. And that's uh, where the beginning of this recovery process started for me. And December 4th, you'll have four years, right? December 4th, I will have four years, and it's on my birthday. As funny as that is, I was dropped off at my last treatment center on my birthday. That's a wonderful thing. What a present that was. Yeah, if I make it that long, I'll have uh, four years. All right, so now I heard you both say desperation. I heard you both say that you were at the point of desperation. What does that mean? I mean, what is that? What is desperation? Desperation for me was a point where the only thing that made me feel normal and my only coping me- mechanism for life stopped working. So that took me to a place where, um, if you can envision me drinking and using drugs, crying, not wanting to do it, I'd be laying on my couch, staring at the ceiling, you know not wanting to wake up. Um, it, it just took me to a point where I didn't know what to do. I couldn't live with it. I couldn't live without it, so I didn't know what to do. And that led me back to the last treatment facility, and um, I tried the this recovery out. So you used, you used, you were a dual user. Was that to, and you said it was to cope. What were, what were you coping with? Were you trying to numb something, escape? What were you, what were you dealing with? Yeah, I just didn't want to feel like, I didn't want to, I wanted to feel different than I felt, regardless. So whether that was to cover up fear, anxiety, de- depression, whatever, I would use anything that you had or drink anything that you had to make me feel any way outside of myself. Did you have a bad life? Did you have a tough life, an abusive life? What were you trying to numb, escape from? Puckers. Uh, I, I don't really know. I, I didn't have a tough life. Um I would say it, it, it may have been an interesting life. I, I lived a life of excess, if you will. Um, I was brought up in a family of women, and I kind of lacked the, the the father instinct in my life. And at some point, um, 
a family member took me under his wing who just, he lived a life of excess and more. And that was from a young age. So I kind of took on those qualities. And when I mean that, I mean, uh, it might have been a little bit different. Like I would be dropped off at school in limousines. I would fly around in, in private planes. I'd vacation on yachts. And this was at an age of 12 and 13. And then it was, it was all, it was like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And too much is never enough. And whatever I wanted, I had. And if I wanted more, I had it. So, you know, that's, that's not normal, knowing that today. But I didn't know that when I was living it. That was just normal. And when did you start to use? 12 years old. 12 years How old were you started, Eric? Um, I started smoking pot when I was 14. I had gotten, my father was this alcoholic, so we never had uh, like any kind of liquor around our house ever because he was a terrible guy. And uh, so it, my, for my brother's 12th birthday party, my father had a bunch of people that we never knew came to our little house at Harvey's Lake and, uh, uh, and had a party for him. And it was just all kinds of booze all around. So me and my brother and some friends, we snuck it all out in the woods and kept it out there. But that was the first time I ever drank. But when I started smoking pot at 14 years old, that's when things started going downhill. So the most of your addiction was, was drugs, Eric. It wasn't, yeah, alcohol I, wasn't a big part of your It story. was a big part because I was drunk. But every time I got drunk, I got in trouble. Right. I did something. I was married at a young age and I'd run around on my wife. Every time I get drunk, I'd take her out and I'd get in a little fight with her. So she would leave. And then when she'd leave the bar, I would take off with my friends and go away for the weekend or two or three days at a time and come back with my tail between my legs, you know, and feeling bad that I was doing this, you know. And then I had these little kids, and I could just see what I was doing to myself, and I just needed to stop, but I just didn't know how. And now we have PJ on the other end of the spectrum because you came from a pretty much a what we would call a normal all-American family, right? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Um, alcohol was always uh, something that was involved in everything that my family did. How old were you when you started drinking, PJ? I was 14 years old, and uh, I remember I was sitting at a friend's house, and we were drinking liquor out of the bottle, and uh, I stood up, and I remember, like, the whole room, like, took a minute to adjust, and I was just like, it was the greatest feeling ever. And as soon as I, as soon as I comprehended that, it was like, why wouldn't I want to feel like this all the time? All right. We are going to uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. Jason Mattioli is a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work-related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call attorney Mattioli at 570-961-1616. 
Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855-899-2292. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back. If you're just joining us this afternoon, thank you for being here. Sharing recovery is about help, hope, and healing. We believe recovery is possible. That's our focus. But we also know too well that silence um, also equals death. We want to welcome our guests. We have Eric M., Larry M., and PJ with us here live at the WILK studios. You are welcome to call us with questions or comments. The number to call is 570-883-0098. We're also on Facebook Live. And you can send us a uh, Twitter uh, using at share recovery. So what I'd like to know since the, uh, the title of this show today is from outrageous to recovery. And I, I think it's safe to say that we're all touching on some of the outrageous behavior. Um, and it's important for I think our listeners to understand that, you know, people in recovery come from all walks of life. Um, there's not just any cookie cutter of, of an addict. And um, Jack, you, you have an incredible story. Well, I was eight years old when I started drinking. And, and I thought that was perfectly normal because that's what I saw in my house with my mother. My father never took a drink. My mother drank from noontime till 9 p.m. seven days a week. That was her routine. Never a problem. There was never any issue. We had a wonderful life what appeared to be a wonderful life growing up. Now, I started to drink because I was serving drinks to people in the house. I never felt, I, I hear uh, people in addiction say they felt out of place or uncomfortable and needed something to change the way they felt. I never felt that way. I started to drink, I thought it was great, but I wanted to be the center of attention. I, I wanted to walk into a bar room as I got older and everybody said hello to me. And, and that's the kind of thing that I enjoyed. Now, Eric, as you grew up, were there incidents in your life that, that stand out that were unusual or what most people would think weren't normal? Or? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, let's see back here. We moved around. So my father could never hold a job down because he was a drunk, you know, and he was a binge drinker. And my mom worked for Social Security. She worked for the government. And uh, so we would move, do this geographical cure, it's called. You know, we've gone from, you know, from Florida Pennsylvania, California, and back. And uh, so we never finished uh, a year of school. We always got to a place where school was had already started. 
So I was a new kid in school, and then we always left before school ended, you know. And uh, I always, I always felt out of place, you know. And I even I had an older brother, I have an older brother, and I had two younger sisters, and so I was like left home all the time with my mother and the sisters, and my father would take my brother and go do things, and you know, he would do everything with them, and I was just left there. And I always felt out of place. Did you feel that way too, PJ? Um, I don't think I always felt out of place. I definitely, um, <clears throat> I felt like a lot of fear growing up about like what other people thought of me, but I, I've for the most part, kind of felt pretty comfortable with uh, wherever I went. You know what I mean? I did a good job of, like, fitting in with whatever was kind of thrown my way. I see. And now you and Larry have both mentioned fear. And I I know I never identified fear. I was never afraid of anything. I, I, I just didn't care. But I began to anesthetize all feelings at eight years old. But fear wasn't something uh, that I ever experienced. In fact, I thought I could conquer the world. I thought I could conquer the world right up until before I went to prison. And for the first time in my life, I was afraid. When I walked into a prison and then those bars closed behind me, I felt fear for the first time. Now, I didn't have anything to deal with at that. I went to prison after being sober eight years, not having had a drink in eight years. But the past still hadn't caught up with me. It took, it took a long time for the past to catch up with me. So that was the first time I felt fear. And then I had nothing to anesthetize with but turning to prayer in God. And, I have a question, Jack, if I may, please. Um, what do you mean it took eight years for the past to catch up with you? Well, You were sober for eight years. I stopped drinking in 1998. In 2001, uh, a company from New York State and I had a disagreement, and we'll just leave it at that. And, and it turned into a legal matter that took until 2006 to get worked out. And uh, December... 19th or 20th, I walked into my house a couple days before Christmas of 2006 and told my wife and kids I was going to prison. And uh, that's why that that was eight years of, of not drinking. But for something I had done in 1998 or, or 1999, it just took that long for the legal system to catch up with me. And, um, and I went to prison. So and uh, but I was sober when I went to prison and, and I never had the thought like, that I should start drinking again or using drugs because believe me, in prison you can do anything you want. So that that's what that means. That it was it was eight years of not drinking, but not participating in a program of recovery either. I would go to a meetings once in a while. I would talk to like Eric and I have known each other a long time, and, and anybody who's listening to the show knows that. So I would talk to Eric because I knew him, but I didn't want to be involved in, in a recovery program on the level that is necessary to to recover. So in that eight years, I really wasn't recovering. I was just kind of stagnant in not drinking. You know, and it, dry drunk is, is what it's called. And being a dry drunk is worse than being drunk. So why is that? Because now you have nothing. Now yeah. you don't have the alcohol. Yeah. You don't have drugs. Yeah, there's nothing to cope with. Then go ahead, Eric. Explain yeah. it. Yeah, there's nothing. You, you have no coping mechanisms. Then you know you're just miserable, mean and miserable. And, and I did that. I I uh, relapsed. Five different times. I got sober five different times, I guess it was. And, uh, you know, the first time it was, I had three weeks to go to my first year. And I had gone through treatment. And when I went in, my wife went through treatment. And, um, and we got out. And I thought we were going to leave this, uh, you know, lead this really nice life together and raise our two kids and grow old together. And she just never got sober. Had don't She had no reason to and didn't want to. And she said she only did it just for me because I was a mess. 
And, uh, you know, so I kept trying to keep, I tried to keep her sober for uh, like five years or something like that. And I always ended back up. You know, I always ended up. She never got straight. And uh, Is it possible to keep someone sober? or No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. All I could do is take care of myself. And I proved it to myself several times. Yeah. Larry, now you, you talked about your your experiences when you were younger, and you said the word fear. What were you afraid of? Um, you know what it was, and you touched on it. I couldn't think of what it, it was. Just never feeling right. I never felt like I fit in, and I never felt like I was good enough. So I always felt like I had to to build up this I don't know, like persona or ego that I was good enough or better than or I always had to be the best so like the amount of pressure that that puts that I put on myself I mean it was me that was doing it but the amount of pressure that that is living like that it's it's not easy so I believe I was born an alcoholic but I believe that that contributed to you know the extent of my drinking and using so you had this life from a a very young age of limousines and yachts and private jets and you know for a a teen or or anyone basically they would think you had the life mm -hmm. but that was not something that was actually a positive experience long term for you no it was absolutely positive and it was a lot of fun I mean, if I told you that all that wasn't yeah. fun, I'd okay. be lying. Yeah, all of that was an absolute blast um, until it be until it stopped becoming fun. The drinking and drugs took over that fun, and then I became a, basically a prisoner to drugs and alcohol. You know, those things that I did back then they were they were a blast. You know, I'd love to do them today if I could. Sober, you mean? Sober. Sober. Yeah, right. it was just the company. It was the company that I was with and just keeping up with everybody. I mean, everybody that I hung around with was a, was an alcoholic drug addict. Okay. Every single person. So waking up at 7 o'clock in the morning. All right, stop right there for a second. What was a typical day like when you woke up at 7 in the morning? Larry? Wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning. You have a six-pack of Coors Light ponies and a handful of pills. Whatever they were, it didn't matter. You know, so that was normal. That was every day. That was seven days a week. How Wake old were up. you when you were doing pills and, and drinking the ponies? That was a teenager. Wow. Yeah, that was a teenager. And then it progressed to, you know, the point where I needed more to just be able to function in the morning where I'd have to like when I would wake up in the morning I'd have to know where my head was because I was going to puke so I'd have to angle it a right way so I could puke on the hardwood floors then drink a water glass of vodka and do a whole bunch of pills just to stop shaking so I can get a shower and go to work and you were able to work while you were like this there well I'd get to work and I'd be able to make it through a morning meeting and then I'd have to leave work go to a friend's house who was close by my work and do more so he would have a dixie cup of pills and i'd have vodka and gatorade was our afternoon and i'd lay on the couch and watch judge judy until the shakes had stopped and i'd go down to work and i would do that throughout the day and at the end of the day i would have so much in my system that i thought to myself there's no way that you could possibly wake up and then i'd wake up and then i'd say you got to be kidding me i got to do this all over again. how many years did this happen did you, how many years did you live like this uh i mean it was fun for a long time before it started to get like that. I mean, that that was the end stages of it. But, but I mean, a good ten years every day. I mean, there was no, there wasn't a twenty-four hour period that I didn't do that ever. I had to be physically removed. I give people a lot of credit. They could just walk in off the street and go to AA. I could never physically 
stop on my own ever, no matter how bad I wanted to. And what were your days like, Eric? <sighs> well, we grew up poor, and uh, my father got into a very lucrative business, and I was, uh, was I like 16 years old, and... And, and then it was, uh, I, I ended up quitting high school, you know, because I was just stoned all the time. And if I smoked pot before I went to school in the morning, I didn't go to school, me and my friends. And we would just hang out. And so i get suspended from school, and my father would, uh, I'd have to go to work out on the road for his business. And so I'm 16 years old out doing this stuff, and, you know, and uh, until I got married. And it was just drunk all the time, just drunk at night, usually drunk all the time at night, but always smoking pot, always doing whatever kind of drug was around there. And um, until I got married, which I figured would save me, and it probably did, you know, like the first year. So I was pretty good for about a year, and then uh, I started to back up at it. And um, and after that, you know, we had our own, my father had his own jet. We had a big boat down in Florida and homes in Florida. And we just, you know, get on the plane. I had long hair at the time, you know. And um, so it was like living the life of a rock star. I thought it was, you know, just get on the plane an hour and a half later, you're down there, hour and 45 minutes, I think it was, you're down at Palm Beach and get off and... You know, and I'd ripped up jeans, sort of like I have today, but, but I had long hair and, and just partied, just partied like that. And for how long did that go on, Eric? Until uh, I was uh, 24 years old. That's when I stopped. Before that, it, I got sober, I think, in like September, I think, when I, in 1981, but it was June. And um, when my kids were sleeping, I'd take, I'd go off with my wife, I'd take her and I'd uh, you know, go out fishing. I lived at Harvey's Lake, so I'd go out fishing in the morning, and, and I'd just use a little bit of lake water, and I'd, you know shoot up some speed and uh and i said to my wife out there that day i said uh i said i can't stop i don't know what to do i said i'm gonna have to go away somewhere and i had no idea about rehabs or never even thought about that about doing any of that you know a pj what was a typical day like for you um well when i was like 17 years old 18 years old, uh, I actually I got a scholarship to go to Wilkes University. And so I would wake up in the morning, typically around like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd be sweating, shaking. Um, I'd immediately get some alcohol, which at the time I was living with my parents, so I would steal their alcohol because I wasn't old enough to buy it. Um, drink till I was able to fall back asleep. Then I would wake back up, same deal. I would drink before I would go to my first class around 9 a.m., after I got out of that class, I would go across the bridge to my buddy's apartment in Kingston. He was like 25. He always had alcohol. So I would drink over there while I was doing my homework and go to my next class and then go back to his apartment, drink more before my next class. And, uh, you know, after I was done around like 5, 6 o'clock, I would just go back to his apartment and, and drink till about, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and then go home and, and wake up, do the same thing over and over. These stories are absolutely remarkable, um, outrageous, yes. And we're going to hear more and learn about the recovery process and how they're all doing uh, now today. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855-899-2292. 
Jason Mattioli is a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work-related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call attorney Mattioli at 570-961-1616. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. This is WYLK, powered by Sherwood Chevrolet Buick GMC, online at Sherwood Chevrolet.com. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Today's topic, From Outrageous to Recovery. And if you are just listening right now, we have Eric M., Larry M., and PJ with us live here in the WILK studios. Welcome, gentlemen. This has been a fascinating show, to say the least. Um, We were talking about what a typical day was before the break. You know, what did you do every day? Um, If I could start with with Larry, um, what was the decision where you said this is it i need help i mean because you know you go back and forth back and forth but what was it that said i i'm really in trouble i need to do something yeah that's that's a good question i mean i i knew i was at the end of my rope and i i have accepted the fact that i was going to go until i died that that was a decision that i made and i was totally fine with it Mm -hmm. um and then some events happened in my life um a cousin who was like a sister to me she would uh come over to my house and we would party together one night she left and she happened to drive through the guardrails and her car landed in the lake in december and that was when the family got together and decided it was time for her to straighten herself out and in that process you know i, I was kind of a mess and it led to someone having a sit down with me and basically they sold me on the fact that I needed to go back to treatment. And if you told me that I would ever go back or ever do this, there was zero chance. But, you know, I mean, that's that's like God working in my life because I agreed to it. And I never, ever thought that I would. I mean, every every response I had and everything I told you why I couldn't, this one of my aunts had an answer. You know, what about the job? She said, you know, and she's great. The job will be there. You have, you know, all this whatever. She had all the legal 
whatever mortgage okay car payment whatever so um long story short she sold me on the fact that i did go back to treatment and, and that was that was there it inpatient oh, treatment i'm sorry inpatient I'm sorry. yeah I, I went to three of them okay yeah Eric, you said um, that you have nine years now in recovery. The second time. Prior to that, how long were you clean? Uh, I've been, no, it was a prior. It was eight years. And what happened? You had eight years. I had eight people years. Would, people listening say to themselves, well, you were eight years clean. I had 11 years before that. <laughs> All right. It, yeah. Tell us. Tell us what leads to a relapse when, you, when you've got that much time. I mean, if somebody has three or four months and they relapse, they say, okay, mm-hmm. well, they're still working this out. But you had 11 years one time. You had eight years. And, and you've relapsed. What happened, Eric? Uh, well, those times I stopped going to meetings. I had to go to meetings, and I just stopped doing it. And, and I, had, uh, got, I got sober, the, I guess, like the third time, and I divorced my first wife. And uh, that was really tough. You know? and, and I got sobered up. And I started, uh, you know, we started opening meetings up and doing things, and I was getting involved, and uh, and I met some girl, you know, and uh, I miss Pennsylvania, as a matter of fact, you know, and it made me feel special having her, and I stopped going to meetings again. I just stopped, you know, it just made me feel special, and, and uh, you know, one thing leads to another. If I don't go to meetings, man, I'm going to... All right, so that was go back out. That was when you had the nine or ten years, right? Yeah, 11 was, years? Uh, yeah. And then... So and now I got you sobered can... up, and I met some girl in the program. I met this girl at a meeting. So and, you uh, came back after relapse to oh, the yeah. program, and then you get another eight years yeah. in. And what happened then? I met this girl in uh, in a meeting, and uh, our eyes met, you know, across the room, and I, it was like love, you know. And I took this girl who I thought naively, you know, wanted the people come to to the program they want to get sobered up mm-hmm. but apparently they don't and i tried to keep her sober and um and she wouldn't do it i broke up with her and i was heartbroken because she wouldn't talk to me after that and uh so i took off i had some businesses out west and i took off and went out to arizona and then up in utah and i came back to go to the dentist and this girl called me it had been like three months later and um, she was at a bar at Harvey's lake drinking and wanted me to come pick her up and i immediately drove right past the meeting went there and picked her up and and um they got her a big painkiller one of these oxycodones and and i took her down to my house down the road and cut it in half and gave it to her well she's chopping that up to snort this thing i just picked it right up and threw it in my mouth like that really shocked me and the first thing i said i put it in my mouth and i started chewing it i'm like oh no i'm gonna have to get sober again and how long were you out on that run uh not just a couple months and you came back to the program. Yeah, came back. And that's now, I, I, you know, one of you guys said earlier in the show that about walking into treatment or walking into the program. I walked into a twelve-step program off the street in 1998, and I haven't had a drink since. Now I'm the exception to the rule. I mean, that's not very often you hear that, and that doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just the way it is. I mean, mm-hmm. as I said, I spent eight years not drinking, but. I should have been drinking for those eight years. It would have been easier on it, everybody. Did, now, PJ, have you ever been to a treatment center? Yeah, I've been inpatient twice. Here in the Northeast? Yeah. And how did that work out? Uh, well, the first time I went, I thought I met the love of my life. and uh, well, We're hearing a common theme yeah, here, aren't we? Yeah, what is we? this? It's like... Uh... <laughs> yeah, uh, this girl just got furloughed out of jail, like six months in prison, and, uh, you know... <laughs> she was the one and uh you know i started hanging out with her i was uh you know 
I was half in, half out, kind of like you talked about before, doing the, you know, just kind of existing in recovery but not actually working a, a program. And, you know, eventually my life got to the point this girl relapsed she was you know hanging i'm hanging out with her all the time she's shooting heroin she's snorting pills at my house and, and we're just hanging out and she's high all the time i'm trying to stay sober telling myself as long as i don't drink everything's going to be all right and my life got so unmanageable to the point where you know i ended up picking up a drink and you know a week later i i actually i was speaking at the same treatment facility that i was in picked up the next day and i checked in the same facility a week later what did they call you peach they were calling me the gift of hope <laughs> the gift of hope what, what what happened that that made you relapse what was the thing you said your life kind of got it was the stress well like i said i was i was seeing this girl yeah. she wasn't sober um so you were trying I to fix her you were trying to keep i her think sober? yeah a lot of my focus was kind of geared toward her instead of myself mm -hmm. and at the same time you know, all that fear that we were talking about before kind of started creeping back in, you know what I mean? It's like, well, what's going to happen with this girl? I started running around on her with other women. And uh, and like I said, it was like it was like I was trying to keep like five beach balls underneath the water. And, and one of them just kept popping up. And eventually it, it all just, you know, hit the fan. And Larry, have you been through treatment programs? I have. I've been to three inpatient treatment facilities. Okay. And. What was what is the longest period of time you have in recovery there? Right now, this is this is the longest and, point. And what are you doing differently now than you did before? Well, I'm actually doing what was suggested of me. I never did what was suggested of me ever in my life. You know, with anything, um, I got sober the first time uh, for people, which doesn't work. Um, I got sober the second time for myself, but. I never did any kind of a recovery program. I, I got back to living life. I got a job. I got a car. I got I got all these things back that everybody thinks are what makes life. You need all these things. But in reality, they're all, it's all bullshit. So I, that took precedence over recovery. Stopped going to meetings, like Eric said, back out. So then that, that took me to my point of desperation. So the point I'm trying to make here is from the start of the show till now we've heard the same we've heard the three of you say the same things that there was fear you didn't fit in and you stopped doing what you had to do to recover and the people that are listening today whether they have a son or a daughter or they're for themselves they're listening that that have had relapses that have tried that you know i know people have been through treatment programs 19 times and and that 19th time is the one time where they get they get it somehow where they hear the message but we're all alike so whether you came from a family of doctors and lawyers or a family of people that that are from under the bridge we're all the same in recovery and we all have to do the same things to get better if we want to get better now that that's I know we're going to go to a break here in a second. As we go into this last segment of the show, that's what I would like to talk about is what do we do today to stay recovered, to stay sober, stay clean, and what is life like today? I mean, I, I know that uh, life was pretty crazy for some of us, you know, in, in addiction, you know, and it, crazy in different ways. Each of us, you know, Eric and, and Larry talk about private planes and yachts and flying all around the world. You know, in my case, it was it was. The craziness was different. And, you know, I, I was a barroom drinker, and I, I was always drunk, and I thought I was always happy. And, but 
I was not. <laughs> you were. I never thought you were happy. <laughs> I remember you when you were drinking. Happy when you're drinking, happy when but, you're high. Well, and, and you know what? That, but my craziness spilled out in a different way. It yeah. caused pain for my wife and children. It, I lost everything I was given. And, and believe me, I was handed an awful lot, like Eric and Larry are talking about. I was handed an awful lot from my father-in-law. That's all, We lost all that, and that's the craziness. But what is life like today, and what do we do to maintain the life that we have today? Okay, and on that note, we are going to take a break, and then we're going to talk about life after recovery. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. And criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call Attorney Mattioli at 570 961 1616. Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855 855- 899-2292. The NFL is not changing its anthem policy. Will the network stop televising it so you won't know what the players are doing? Do you care or don't care? We'll see how this weekend goes. The new Harrison Avenue Bridge in Scranton should be all wrapped up by next spring. It was supposed to be last July. Total cost about $31 million. It was supposed to be $13 million. Your tax dollars at work. We'll have the Cool Cash Contest and Buddy Rubchick. Have a great weekend. Talk to you Monday. The Morning News with Webster and Nancy. Mornings from 6 to 9 on WILK. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Um, today's today's show has been nothing short of remarkable. Our subject is outrageous to recovery. We have guests Larry M., Eric M., and PJ with us here live in the WILK studios. We do want to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can call uh, a confidential line at 570-883-0098 or on Twitter 
our handle is at share recovery we also want to let you know that uh, Sarah Sinto from the Citizens Voice is here at the WILK studio she's doing a story on this show and uh, it will be um, online and in print on the Citizens Voice tomorrow that would be Monday morning so welcome back everyone and Jack um, I'm still learning some of the uh, procedures and what's correct and maybe not so correct but before the break I said what is life like after recovery and you corrected me you yeah. there is no after recovery. it's not after recovery um uh, and i speak freely for the four of us that are here today yeah. we we are in recovery and we work a program of recovery seven days a week mm-hmm. and 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 the fact of the matter is the four of us are good friends we see each other all the time in, at in the program we work the program as a group. This is our support group here. And and I'm going to break some anonymity here, but just recently PJ had a, a, what we thought as a group, not me, not Larry, not Eric, but as a group, we thought PJ was getting off on the wrong track a little bit. And we went out to dinner one night with PJ, and those two guys will give you the we love you part of recovery, and I give you the part where when people walk away they're calling me dirty words under their breath <laughs> and i don't mind because people need both both parts of that but we kind of reached out and said pj it's time for you to get a, a get a job and start to live life like an adult not oh i, I worked i cut sarah's grass for four dollars yesterday and i painted stanley's porch for 20 today and that's cool that's like scamming your way through life and we have to stop that in recovery. We have to stop all the nonsense and grow up. And we're proud. All of us are proud of PJ. He has recently gotten a job in the recovery field. And he's going to work every day. And he's working at that, which helps him grow in his recovery. That's all part of recovery is having responsibilities and helping people. And he's in a position now where he's doing both. He's responsible for himself and he's helping others. And I can tell you, as, as I sit here and look at these three guys, you've got three guys that that'll help anybody. I mean, Eric, it, I, I can't. I, we would have to have a month of shows to tell you how many people Eric has reached out and helped. I know, and I'm going to say this, and he's going to get mad at me. Eric has paid for people to go to treatment. Mm-hmm. Eric has paid to keep people in recovery programs, not once, not twice, lots of times, with no expectations. He doesn't expect anything in return at all. And Larry, he'll do the same thing. You call Larry and say, I need help. He's there in a heartbeat. He, he wants to help people. And that's, that's what we, so we're in recovery. We're, recovery never ends. If recovery stops, then you're back to being shit-faced. So, I mean, that's, that's what this is about. We have to work at this program. We have to live in recovery. And I, and I know these guys do. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to stop for one second, Jack, because I want to take a call. We have Brandon from Wilkes-Bear. Hi there, Brandon. What's your question or comment, please? Welcome. Yeah, it just touches home. I was just wondering how it affects your family and, you know, how how they cope with it. Are they in a program as well? Or, you know, what's the best way to let your family know what's going on and and how to get them as help as well. Okay, uh, Brandon, um, for those on Facebook Live watching, Brandon's question is, your families, are your families affected? How are your families doing these days? Um, are you together? Are they in a type of recovery program? Um, and how can a family get help? 
Well, Brandon, let me just start and then let these guys come in. There is a program for families, and there's a recovery program for the family aspect. Every family needs to get into that into that side. And the family recovery and the addict recovery have to work parallel for a family as a unit to recover. Now, in my family, I can tell you my wife participates in her program. My youngest daughter participates in a program. And together, we are recovering. And I, somebody jump in here. Larry, how about your family? Yeah, I have a... There's a few alcoholics in my family, and there are some that aren't that that uh, participate in the other program for families. There are programs out there for help, and you know if the family wants to support the alcoholic, there's no way to keep them sober. But you know a, a good good way to help is is to participate in the other program, which it kind of strengthens the whole recovery deal. And Brandon, I heard you ask, are your families back together? I think that. I know these families. I know what's going on with everybody. What what I can answer is families, whether they're sober or in addiction, there's always challenges. That's called life. So, yeah, some days everybody's family's peachy cream. I mean, everybody's getting along great. There are other days that there are issues. A father and his sons can have issue. A father and his daughters can have issue. Somebody can have an issue with their parents or, or their, their mother, their father. Their Amen, man. So, I mean, if everybody works a program... The promises tell us life will get better. So if there's anything we can do to help you or your family, call us, Brandon, when we're off the air. We'll and, help you. And, Brandon, there is one thing that I'd like to bring up. Um, in, in my instance, um, I went through a recovery program as a family member. Okay, so if there yep. is an addict that is not ready or for whatever reason is not in any treatment, that doesn't mean that you cannot get into a program because of the recovery programs are available for families. So you don't have to wait for someone to get into treatment. It's it's ideal if that individual does get into treatment, but you can take responsibility for your own life and your own happiness, and I'll be honest with you, your own sanity, and you can get yourself into a recovery program as well. Thanks for calling, Brandon. Thank you so much, hey, Brandon. Thank you guys so much. Good stuff. Thank you. Now, Eric, what's life like today? Do you have any fun? Is life okay? I mean, <laughs> yeah, my life's the ball. <laughs> I always Do have share. Fun. Yeah. I always have fun. Um, I ended up, you know, getting divorced twice in recovery because I had to make this, you know, the most important thing in my life. And um, I have two of my children are in, in recovery. I have a daughter who's been sober 16 years now, I think. Wonderful. 17 years, something like that. and um, Maybe 18. Maybe 18, and the son, he's, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but he tries, you know. Um, you know, I, I just go to work. I go to work and go to meetings. That's what I do. I go to the gym a couple times a week, but that's what I do. Meetings, 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 meetings. And I have to be there, and I have to be involved. Because if I'm not, I'm going to be back out again. And it's just a matter of time. When I see these guys go to or stop going to meetings, I see people stop going to meetings. It's just a matter of time. It's not if, it's when they're going to pick up again. I have a niece and, and her husband, both of them, the same thing, stopped, and uh, they both ended up back out. They're both in recovery again. What is it about the meetings? The fellowship. Okay. You know, being around people that are uh, that suffer the same thing that you do, and they feel the same thing. I used to go to sit in meetings, and I would sit there, and I, I'd say, uh, I'd go there, and I try to relate rather than trying to compare. You know, like I never did this, I never did that, and I'd listen to people, and I'd say, uh, I'd say, oh, I felt like that. I yeah. felt like that. You know? And I'd like to make one point here. Um, uh, Eric and I are well. 
Actually, I'm not 60 anymore. I'm 61 years old today. <laughs> but Eric is 60 years old. And PJ, what are you, 25? 26. Okay, and Larry's 30 in December. My point is that age doesn't matter in recovery. Yeah. That we're there together and, and we can do things. Larry and I and Eric do things together all the time. And, and PJ, because of his job, now can't. He was started joining in with us, but his job changed. But it doesn't matter if you're, if you're 20, what are you going to say to the 60-year-old? Or the 60-year-old, what am I going to say to a 19-year-old? Mm-hmm. In recovery, it, it, we're, we're the same. And Larry, is your life different today than it was you know, four or five years ago? Completely different. I mean... I didn't know that this is what I was looking for, you know, like we talked about earlier. I was trying to find what I have now through drinking and drugging, but I didn't know. It was just, it was really peace of mind and, and true fellowship and friendship. And that's that's what I found with, with this whole program. You know, it's it's the people that you surround yourself with. That's that's what you're going to be like. If you surround yourself with people that drink and use, you're going to drink and use. Mm-hmm. If you do this deal and surround yourself with good people, like the people in this room, um, trying to help people and do the next right thing, life is good. I mean, it might sound boring as opposed to the, the old lifestyle, but it's really not. Today, the, like the feeling of, of peace and just just living a good life is better than, than any feeling I've ever had. So, Larry, there's nobody knocking on your door anymore with a uh, what looks like a cereal box that's stuffed with pills. Is that right? No, that was fun, but no. <laughs> there was, a, there was a, a, a gentleman that knocked on my door with a Triscuit box, and he walked in, and there was there was 700 uh, pharmaceutical narcotics in that Triscuit box, and we locked ourselves in the house for a, a few days, and and that that spun me right into the the uh, moment of desperation I needed. And Pete, are, are you having any fun in recovery? Um, absolutely. And it's it's not even just like the having fun aspect. It's it's the fact that today a lot of things that that most people would identify like with, as stressors, I'm able to cope with that without picking up a drink or a drug. And I like that in itself is a miracle. For How me. do you cope with those things? You know, I uh, I take uh, I bring That's up it. other. Thanks, PJ. We'll get get you back again. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We want to say a special thank you to Clearbrook Treatment Center, Serenity Lodge, Archstone Recovery, and attorney Jason Mattioli for making this show possible. We'll be back next week. Have a great week, and thank you from Sharing Recovery.